What's going on, everybody? It's me, Joel Simmons, back again with another It Starts With Me. You'll find us here on this channel, YouTube, or in one of our podcast studios every single Wednesday at 1230. All right? We've got a great, great individual coming up that's going to talk to us a whole lot about mental health. His name is Matt or Matthew Dixon. So just get ready for him in just a moment. All right. Now, first and foremost, house rules, please like, share, subscribe, follow, hit the notification bell so that you can be notified when we have new content that is presenting, all right? Also, check out the co-host of the Community Beacon every single Monday at 9 o'clock, Motivational Mike Monday. That's where you want to be at, 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern. He's going through a wealth of things right now. I mean, he's really digging in. He wasn't the prospecting, but right now it's all about, uh, it's actually about mental health and it's about mindset uh, shifting. So I love his content. It's really good. Two thumbs up. Check him out on YouTube, Michael Seville. And then also on Fridays, we have the Community Beacon. All right. The Community Beacon is a place where we like to express the lessons that we've learned, as well as those that we've heard. And then we like to give it out to people. The Community Beacon is designed to be a light that helps other people to see a way to become more free, both in mind and in body. So please check us out every single Friday, 6.30 p.m. Eastern. All right. Love to hear more from all of you out there in the DM world. Hook us up. All right. So now, Matt. Let's talk about him. Matt has transitioned or has bicycled across Canada at the age of 20. This is pretty spectacular already, right? He's bicycled across Canada. We got to talk to him a little more about that at the age of 20. But shortly afterwards, he developed schizophrenia and was forced to alter the course of his life for many years to get through the disease. While working on his recovery in his home country of Canada, his heart went out to the people with mental illness in developing countries, as they had much, much worse cases than him. After successfully recovering from schizophrenia, Matthew now helps people with mental illness in developing countries so they can get access to basic mental health care through his Mind app platform. Welcome to the front, Matt. Hi, nice to meet you. It's, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> Absolutely, Matt. Man, I'm glad to have you on the show, and I am glad to hear so much more about the stories. Even when I'm reading in your bio, there's just questions that are already bubbling up inside of my mind. But first off, you know, how has your week been going? How was your weekend? Pretty good. Pretty good. It's uh, some warm weather here in Canada. It's been a cool spring. 
but uh, yesterday especially was starting to feel like summer, so very happy about that. <laughs> yesterday was starting to feel like summer. Wow. Yeah. So it's over here in Florida. We got a lot of rain, but it's actually been some cold days, some really chilly days. So it's gone back and forth because yesterday it was crazy hot. So I don't know. That's Floridian weather. It's like anybody, I feel like anybody could just – Say, hey, listen, what's the weather going to be like in Florida? Oh, well, you know, it's going to be 40% chance rain. It's going to be a great chance of having uh, having a lot of sun outside, you know, 60% chance of sun. You know, it's just like it's the same thing every single time. So it's kind of funny like that. <laughs> so tell me a little bit more about uh, Canada. You know, how long have you been there? Born and raised? Yeah, born and raised. I've been here 50 years. and. Wow. Yeah, I grew up on the east coast of Canada and had a pretty average uh, youth. I nothing exceptionally bad happened to me. Nothing exceptionally good happened to me. It was pretty pretty average, and I I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. I I was good. I was a straight A student, but I was I just didn't feel compelled to do any one sort of career path. And anyway, I got into engineering. I was doing that, but I was sort of half-hearted about that. In the middle of my, uh, after my third year, I said, you know what? I'm tired. I want to bicycle across the country. And I did. It was, it's sort of like throughout my teen years, I guess, I could feel something sort of nagging at me. I I lived in a place where there's lots of nature around and islands and oceans and beaches and mountains and I didn't really partake a lot in that I sort of hung out with my friends played golf and basketball and watched movies and that sort of thing had a good time but in the back of my head I was always thinking well you know there's you know beaches over there and islands and we could go over there but I didn't do that stuff as much as I wanted to and it, it wasn't that big a deal I, I still had you know a fun time but I think just that tiny little niggling after all those years, I, it was just building up in me. And so that's it. I need to experience nature. I want to go out and have, do, do something fun and crazy. And, and I did that trip. And I was really glad I did it. Yes, I could have been hit by a truck. Yes, there is danger involved. But overall, I had a really good time. It was uh, had a lot of fun. And I wanted to keep doing stuff like that. But my life took a turn for the worse in, when I was 22, a couple of years later, after I did that trip, and I got diagnosed with schizophrenia, which uh, veered my life off into a whole different realm. So, yeah. Wow. So I don't want to miss anything now because I hear you building up into your story about the schizophrenia. Did you say that you were at 15, you started to think about biking across the country? Is that what you said? No, it was uh, through my teen years. I was mostly just wanting to get out into nature, to do hiking, biking, exploring, going places. Uh, and it was, I never did as much as I wanted to. And this, uh, when I was 20, in the middle of university, this uh, newspaper article appeared in front of me that talked about this group that bikes across Canada. They do it every year. They've been, and I, it, it made it easier for people to do something as daunting as that. So I... I signed up for it. I did the training. And next thing you know, I was out on the highways across Canada biking on the trip. And I 
for people who might be afraid to do something like that or to, or for people who who want to do something in their life but might be afraid to tackle it they think well that's not me i'm not somebody like that because i had thoughts like that too i thought you know i i sort of thought i was an average ordinary person and couldn't do stuff like that because that's something that happens to other people we always hear stories of people who are rowing across an ocean or hiking mount everest whatever but we don't often think well maybe that could happen to me and i've been through that process i know it's daunting but as far as my bike trip across Canada was, it's a lot easier than you think once you're out there. You you realize it's a lot of fun, and why isn't everybody doing this? It's just <laughs> a lot of fun. Yeah. I love it. I love the way you just said that. So, how, I mean, you're like, why isn't everybody doing this? That's I, that was awesome. You know, so so real in what you're saying, so authentic and so uh, pure. So, how many miles? Or kilometers is that? Yeah, so the trip, uh, they do it. A lot of teachers want to do the trip, so they uh, schedule it from the last day of school in June, late June, until early September when school backs, uh, goes back in. And so it's about 10 weeks, and it's seven, a little over 7,000 kilometers. <clears throat> and it's on, <clears throat> excuse me, on average, it's about 130 kilometers a day. And that's six days a week. We get one day off a week. So 130 kilometers, I don't know what that is in miles, 80 miles maybe, something like that. Something like that. You said it's how many kilometers? Uh, 130 a day for six days a week. Wow, 130 kilometers a day. Gee whiz, man. That's, this is some serious stuff that you were doing right there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> This was this was no easy thing. All right, so 130 kilometers, just like you said, it's just over 80 miles per day. And then you said you did just over and uh, excuse me per week. I think it was that you said that, right? Uh, 130 kilometers a day, six days a week. Six for days a week. Weeks. Yeah, for ten so, weeks. Gee whiz, man! So that's like 80 80 miles. Per week for ten weeks, that's like eight over eight thousand miles, right? Oh my gosh! Or eight hundred, seven thousand kilometers, uh, whatever that over is in miles, maybe five thousand miles or something. Oh man! So she was man. I mean, you you were really you're really doing it. You're really doing well, it. Well, here's here's the thing: you only have to train for the trip to do the trip about three months. The trip is in July and August. And the, you train in April, May, and June, and you try to log about 2,000 kilometers before the trip starts. Uh, so that's that's just 12 weeks of training. I'm not training years to be into the Olymp to get into the Olympics. This is just training. It's training to make you uh, able to sit in the bike seat for a long period of time, but not break any speed uh, records. It's uh, we are pretty slow. I was averaging 20 kilometers an hour for the whole trip. The Tour de France riders average double that, uh, about 40 kilometers an hour. So I was pretty slow compared to them. <laughs> I tell you what, it's still, uh, Anna is telling me it's 4.3 uh, miles. So, you know, there's still a lot to be said about that. I mean, really, there's two different things that comes to my mind right now from what you're saying. I mean, so you have the training, which is teaching you endurance. But 
the the first part was the transition you know going from you know a kid who just likes to play golf basketball and watch movies doesn't want to explore islands doesn't want to go to the beaches doesn't really want to be you know um, this individual who's like out there exploring everything to hey i just saw like an advertisement to do this at the end of school or you know from in june and why not why why don't i just go ahead and get on a bike and travel from one end of Canada to the other end of Canada because I never wanted to go to an island or a beach and just sit on the beach. But today, you know, I think I'm just going to travel through every single province <laughs> from east to west or west to east. I think that's an amazing transition. How did you get there? How did I get there? Like mentally in the mindset, you mean? Yes. So... I'll, I'll be honest, there's a book that really describes it well. It's called The Motivation Myth. And he says, people think we have to have this lightning bolt of inspiration where I'm going to, where you say, that's what I'm going to do with my life. Often they say, <clears throat> often they say that doesn't happen. And what you should do is take small steps. These small steps give you confidence. They build your confidence by taking one small step after another. You don't have to wait for the confidence to take the steps. You take the steps to give you the confidence. And for me, I did have a bit of a, you know, a moment where I said, I think I'd like to try to bike across Canada. I didn't know if I was going to make it when I said I, I want to sign up for this. I had no idea if, if I could do it. It's daunting to do. I've been through the daunting part, but I took small steps. I The very first step was after seeing the newspaper article, I phone the phone number at the end if you wanted more information. This is uh, 1992, 1991, before the internet was around. So there's a phone number. I talked to someone on the phone. They said, sure, we can send you a package with more information. I said, great. A uh, week or two later, it showed up in the mail. I started reading all the details about how to do this trip. Uh, the next thing I did was I put uh, something like $100 down to, re to, reserve, to reserve a spot on the trip. And the next thing, I put another down, uh, down payment maybe in, I don't know, maybe February, let's say. Then in April, May, and June, I started biking. My first, the first week, they, do the, they lay the training up for you. It's three rides a week. Uh, the first week is 10 kilometers, three rides a week. The next week is 15 kilometers, three rides a week. Then 20, uh, 25, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100. The last week, you're biking three rides, 100 kilometers in the week. So the first ride is 10 kilometers. For me, that's about half an hour ride. Just lots of people do that in, in, in everyday life. The first week, that's all it is. The next week, bump it up to 15 kilometers, three rides a week. That's about a 45-minute ride, three times a week. So you do this training, and your body just naturally acclimates to do this. It's They say anyone of average physical fitness can do the trip. In fact, there was a guy on the trip when I got out there, and he was uh, he was 40. He was a high school teacher. He weighed, uh, this was his training. He weighed 295 pounds. He was six foot five. He lost 30 pounds. He got down to 265. He quit smoking cold turkey the first day and started biking. He did no training on the bike, none. He didn't do an inch of biking, just showed up and started biking. He biked with us every single day. He was one of the last ones to come into camp for the first month. But by Ontario, he was flying with the rest of us. It, and that's what I've been trying to tell people for 30 years now is it's daunting. I get it. I was thinking, what am I doing? What am I doing? Me doing this? This is incredible. Who signed me up for this? You did, Matthew. You signed yourself up for this. But once you're out there, you think, whoa, this is this is easier than I thought. It, it's it's uh, 
it's it's pretty fun and doable. You can do it. Lots of people can do it. So I love it. I love it. And you laid that out so well. One of my philosophies is less is more. And that's exactly what you're talking about. You know, sometimes it is daunting to do or to these transitions that we go through because we're looking at this large scale picture. And it's very difficult to go from, you know, not doing something to large scale, you know, uh, phenomena. But what you're talking about is like, hey, the first thing I did was read this article and then it said, call here. That's a very simple step, something that anyone can accomplish. The next step was just reading the article. Another simple skill that anyone who can read can do. And then the next step was $100. And I just love how the way you explained that made so much sense because shifting your mind to be able to you know, do this I mean, and really it does feel like a very daunting type of thing, you know, 4,000 plus miles, almost 5,000 miles. That's a lot. If I think about that, I'm like, nah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> but with what you just told me, I'm inspired. I'm like, well, maybe I, you know, I actually could do that. I've got a shot at that. You know, I think that's beautiful. Great job, Matt. Thanks. Thanks. So, so what happened next, you know, two years later, or not even two years later, like in between 20 and 22, with the mindset that I, I, I can do anything right now. I mean, I would assume that was your mindset. What were you doing? So throughout university, I noticed some small symptoms coming in, but this was the early 90s. I didn't know about mental illness. I'd been taught about mental health in high school. Uh, but not mental illness. I didn't know about depression or anxiety or bipolar. And even when I did my bike trip, I had some small symptoms coming on. But when my disease hit at 22, it hit hard. And I went from muddling through life a little bit, but still able to do things, uh, getting an engineering degree, getting mostly A's, biking across Canada. I got on the UNB, my university rowing team after I biked across Canada. I did a triathlon, but then I went through, uh, then I just, I went to get help. I was scared for my life with my disease that was coming on. I, I volunteered myself. I, I wanted to get help myself. I didn't have to have an intervention or anything. And they diagnosed me with schizophrenia and the disease, it, my life changed very quickly in just a matter of weeks through being able to go to school, live on my own, uh, be on a rowing team, to living in a psych ward, not being able to do anything really for myself. It was very, very difficult. You really just want to sit there and lie there and curl up in a ball and yeah, it's it's tough. You, you, really, you really just don't want to do a whole lot of stuff. 75% uh, of people with schizophrenia have hallucinations. I never did. I was in the 25% that didn't, and that made my life easier. I had other symptoms, though, which is uh, part of psychosis. Uh, uh, things like, like at, at my worst, I felt like if I was going for a walk, and I stopped, and I turned around and walked backwards the direction I just came from, that I would go back in time. I knew yeah. I wouldn't. I knew I knew I wouldn't. That wouldn't happen. But it just sort of felt like it would. It was, it's 
more sort of trippy, freaky things, uh, some of the symptoms that happened to me. It felt like I was watching TV. Uh, it, it didn't feel like I could interact with people in front of me. Uh, I felt it's, it's, it's this disconnected feeling. Uh, it makes you feel very alone. I, I mean, to be honest, at my worst, I felt like uh, people weren't even there. I could be with my friends and family or anybody, any human being at all. It literally felt like they weren't there. That they just didn't exist. I could see them. Everything appeared the same way to me visually. I had no hallucinations. It's just a very lonely, empty feeling. Plus, I had anxiety and depression, too. So they don't say, Matthew, you've got this class of schizophrenia, which means you will get better in X number of months or X number of years. They say, trying to find a medication that works, stay on it, get some counseling, and good luck and you don't know what your future's what the future is going to what your future is going to be you don't know if you'll ever get better you don't know if you'll partially get better you don't know if you'll get 100% better i didn't know also when i this was 1994 when i got diagnosed i knew nobody who'd gone through schizophrenia and come out the other side and was enjoying their life I've since uh, heard of uh, some people with schizophrenia who still have symptoms, but are quite appreciative of their life. Uh, Brandon Staglin in California, he has schizophrenia. He says he's very appreciative of what he's been through. And I, I think he's still having symptoms. I'm not sure. But people can sometimes outgrow schizophrenia. Maybe in their 40s or 50s, the disease can leave. I know Russ... Uh, John Nash, played by Russell Crowe in the movie A Beautiful Mind. He, in real life, he his schizophrenia uh, left him more in his, I think, 40s or 50s later on in his life. So, yeah, it's... Uh, so I noticed, I, I got on a medication, I stayed on it, and I noticed an improvement in my health every single week for 27 years. Every single week. It was just a long... If you plotted it on a graph, it would just be a long, slow, steady lineup over 27 years. And February 11th of 2021, during the pandemic, my symptoms just stopped. Hmm. They stopped and they, I don't know what's what happened in my brain all those years, but neurons were obviously slowly, slowly connecting, connecting, building, rewiring themselves slowly, slowly over 27 years. And they just stopped, my symptoms stopped. And the last year, I've had time, I've had peace. I have full, complete thoughts instead of thoughts that just go around and round in circles. And I get to think now and pause and reflect, think about what I've been through instead of always fighting. I spent 27 years fighting, fighting for the next few minutes. What am I gonna do for the next few minutes? How am I, what am I gonna do? It's, it was like this background music in a movie. The, the music in a movie, sometimes you're not paying attention to, but it's ever-present, and it affects you. And basically, one of my thoughts was, for 27 years, when is this going to stop? When will my symptoms stop? When will I feel, when will this pain go away? This mental pain, this torment, this physical pain, when will it stop? When will it stop? I was always, it was always in the back of my head thinking that, even though I was thinking about other things. As the years went on, I progressed, I could think about... You know, I was reading books on how to get myself better. I, I went to a job for 20 years. I owned a house, I owned a car, I bought groceries. I did 
did lots of things, but it was always in my head, when is this going to stop? When is this going to stop? And for some reason, I don't know why, I, I could have fought harder than I did. I could have taken better care of myself. I could have you know, gotten more therapy, various forms of therapy. I did what I could. And for whatever reason, my symptoms just stopped. And I'm still on my medication. I plan to keep taking that for a long time or until they do find a cure, you never know. But until then I pop a pill, which is kind of like the ultimate solution to anything. Just pop a pill and you're good. I pop a pill every night and it keeps me stabilized. I try to live a healthy lifestyle. I don't, you know, I don't drink or do drugs. I don't stay up late or, or if I stay up late, I, you know, I still sleep in the next morning. I try to eat okay. You know, I'm not great. I could do more exercise. I could eat better, but I'm, I've got my sanity back. That's a gift, a real gift. Yeah, um, that is a gift, a, a gift that many of us overlook. You know, being grateful or gratefulness, you know, the spirit of being grateful, it's something else because many times we don't recognize all of the liberties that we actually do have. You know, the, being able to control our faculties and having a right mind, uh, it just means so much. And it's something that, um, especially Westerners, you know, we overlook as we're looking for something else that we can grab and we can have to satisfy whatever it is that we desire. It's something else. It's grounding when you hear a story like yours and it's more like I would love to have just been able to be in my right mind. That would have been the greatest thing that could have happened to me is kind of what I'm taking from this so many different ups and downs. And I have to say, you may not feel like you did enough, but I think that struggling for 27 years at the same thing takes a whole lot of courage, resiliency, and endurance. I applaud you for that because I know that when dealing with mental health, there are some that are unable to go as long as you've gone. And not take their life into their own hands. So I think that this is a really powerful statement. And I hope that we have an audience that possibly has someone that possibly has schizophrenia that can hear what you're saying, you know, because this is powerful. How did you become so resilient? When push comes to shove and you're forced into something, when you're dragged into something kicking and screaming, when you have no other option but to fight, you would be amazed at what you are, you are capable of. It, it's If people really knew what they were capable of, Navy SEALs are taught in their training <clears throat> that they are capable of 20 times more than they think they are. They're taken to the brink of physical and mental exhaustion to the point where they say, I can't do it. I quit. I give up. I can't do one more thing. I'm tired. I'm dead. I'm just gone. I can't do this. And their trainer comes up to them and says, you think you're done? Not only do you have double what you think you can, what you think you can do, you have 20 times more than you think you are, you, than you think you're capable of. You keep going, keep going. And they're shown in their training that they can get up and keep walking, fighting, doing all these things. 
And that's the way I felt I went, what, what happened to me. I, I didn't want to go through schizophrenia, but when, when this intensity of life enters your life and you have no other option, it's like you hear stories of people, you know, someone's drowning and somebody jumps into the freezing water to go and save them. And, you know, they get hero awards, that sort of thing. And they're asked, you know, why did you do it? Well, how could I not do it? You know, someone's drowning. How, how would you, how do you run into burning buildings to save somebody? How do you get that courage? Well, when intense things happen and lives are at stake, even your own life, you just do it. I mean, if, if you, if you had to go through mental illness right now and feel that pain, you'd have to think, what do I do? What, how do I do this? And, and after a while, you'd think like, I, uh, you might think I want to fight this and, and, and you're forced to, you have no other choice. And that's where, I mean, most of us aren't forced to do much at all. We, I mean, we, I mean, I shouldn't say that. Lots of people have stress in their lives, but you know, we, we watch Netflix, we go on social media for probably too much than we should. We, you know, don't eat properly. We eat junk food. And, but if, if there is a real, if somebody was saying, do not do that. And in this sort of intense voice saying, and trying to wake you up, you would say, okay, okay, I won't do that. I won't, I won't watch Netflix tonight. I'll do something more productive or, uh, you know, I won't eat that junk food, but there's nobody, there's nobody forcing us to do that stuff. So we just kind of go with the flow and say, oh, it's not that big a deal. Um, I'll do this and that. And that's how we get bad habits. And I'm guilty of that too. I'm, I'm guilty of that too, but yeah, I did fight for my, for my mental health. I think that's powerful. You know, I also have uh, suffered through mental health conditions. At a very young age, I was diagnosed with depression, uh, with uh, bipolar, ADHD, and also suicidal ideation. So I definitely understand to a degree. I mean, it's not the same type of mental health concerns that you had, you know, I guess what I'm what I'm asking you, because I, I had to make this fight. You know, I'm a very happy, energetic guy. I used to be, you know, I'm, I'm also an introvert, which most people don't know. They have no idea that I'm an introvert because when I come into a room, I generally light the room up. You know, it's part of who I am, who I developed into. So I was just curious if you know because I believe that there must have been some kind of programming, maybe early on in life, uh, maybe from someone you cared about or something that you developed that just gave you a mindset that, you know, you could kind of be whoever you desire to be, do whatever you desire to do or overcome anything. And I definitely heard some of that story in your bicycle trip, which I thought was amazing two years before you go through this schizophrenia before your true trip begins before your 27 year long trip begins, you know, not just across Canada, but across the mindscape of your world, as you knew it, you were prepared. You were preparing to endure hardness. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think about that sometimes, and uh, sometimes I think, you know what, Matthew, you could think about this forever, and you may never get an answer. 
Sometimes, <laughs> so, I, I don't know. It's uh, kind of like a chicken and egg thing sometimes when I maybe go too deep into thinking about this stuff. But yeah, it's, I don't know. It's, I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Nonetheless, you're here and you're amazing. You're amazing. So, I mean, and I would definitely want our listeners to hear that as well. You know, there's some things. So I have one of my mentors has stated, and I've said this before, but at a specific junction in time, we all went up. There was a few of us that went up before my mentor and he was Asked, we were all presenting something, and there was somebody who was not prepared. And he looked and he said, you knew the day was coming. Why didn't you prepare? And so something like what you're talking about, you know, there was no way to prepare for schizophrenia, just like there was no way for me to prepare to become like this depressed, you know, uh, suicidal type of little boy. You know, there's no way for me to prepare for that. But for many of us, there is an opportunity to, to prepare for the successes in our life. And sometimes I believe that life as we know it will begin to shift in certain directions to prepare us for the unknown things. It's like when you have a mindset that says everything is working for my good, then even the difficult situations are simply preparing you for something that is coming up. What would you say about that? Yeah, I think about that. I I think about that now because I'm transitioning into a role of advocacy work and trying to help other people with mental illness, specifically in developing countries, but also with uh, people with schizophrenia because I'm I'm doing well. And I know there's a lot of people out there with schizophrenia who are suffering. And maybe I could be that role model for people who I didn't have when I was first diagnosed with the disease, I knew nobody who'd, who'd gone through this and come out the other side and doing well. And so th those are sort of my two main things. Uh, I do, yeah. And so uh, my website, mindaid.ca, I made that four years ago. And I've been working on that slowly because the last you know, four years I've been working on my own recovery too. So I've had to take more time to for myself to just... Uh, and not work as much as I wanted to on the advocacy work, but I plan to keep plugging away at it slow and steady. That's sort of a theme in my life, slow and steady. And I, I, I made my website. I got on uh, Facebook and then later LinkedIn and then YouTube. And I've tackled other social media things one at a time. I've gotten better at telling my story. My website, as far as I know, it's the only one of its kind in the world. It, if you go and research, mental health in developing countries, a lot of the groups helping with the cause, they're scattered across the web. I've put them as many as I can find all on one page, on one site. And it can act as a hub for the cause. It doesn't get as much traction as, as I'd like right now, but I'm hoping that'll change in the future. Uh, Robin Williams' son, Zach Williams, he's working on a platform called Hashtag Break the Chains. He helps advocate for that. There are some people with mental illness who are actually kept in chains in some countries. They estimate hundreds of thousands in 60 countries. Are, they have mental illness and they're kept in chains. They're, they're tied to a tree, tied to a bed. Maybe they have their feet through a log, like that picture there on my website on the top page there. And I will say that a man, his name is Shekhar Saxena, 
He's from Harvard. He spoke at the UN and he said that every country when it comes to mental health care is a developing country. That said, I still would prefer to be in Canada with mental illness than some countries in Africa, say. Uh, some countries have only one psychiatrist per million people. And anyway, the good news is that they've found models of basic mental health care that are low cost, proven effective and scalable. And the World Health Organization is trying to figure out the best way to roll them out to the masses. In the meantime, I found seven nonprofits that you can donate to or fundraise for to get help to give basic mental health care to people in developing countries. And I don't accept money uh, for these nonprofits myself. I just steer people towards them directly. People can donate directly on their websites or fundraise for them. I have started my own fundraiser underneath one of those nonprofits. It's called Strong Minds, strongminds.org. They have their own, you can start your own fundraiser right on their own platform uh, under their software and whatnot. And I'm hoping to raise $1.8 million by the end of this year, December 31st, 2022, to help 10,000 women with depression in Africa get treatment at $180 per woman per year. And I believe if, if more people knew this is a problem, that, have, that they knew that uh, some countries have only one psychiatrist per million people, that some people are actually kept in chains, that if this, and if they knew where to go to help them, I believe millions, millions of people would want to help from small ways to large ways. And yeah, and you can see you're scrolling through my website there. The, uh, I've got a resources tab on the site and I've got some other uh, nonprofits that are helping uh, people in developing countries get treatment. And although you can't donate or fundraise to those ones, I just have a list of seven where you can donate, donate or fundraise to. So, I think it's amazing what you're doing is absolutely awesome. And I truly appreciate it. You know, I hope and I'm praying that more people will look into this. We're definitely going to include your information in the description so that people can get in contact with you. If they contact us, then we'll definitely send them in your direction. I mean, I'm just, this is, this is a wonderful thing. And, you know, maybe, maybe the unfortunate um, results of you going through such a thing is the fortunate result of many other people being able to get the help that they need at a much quicker uh, rate and pace and possibly even stirring up the right individuals that the possibility of a cure comes about because what you're putting into this is very, very important and what you are doing and what you are giving it may just be something that someone just like you, maybe even you, needed to do in order for us to be able to move the needle in the right direction for those that are suffering with schizophrenia. I thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. The, uh, the fun with Strong Minds, people can make their own fundraisers through the Strong Minds platform. I I've made my own. It's the $1.8 million one. Also on their platform, people can start their own fundraiser underneath my name, underneath the MindAid fundraiser. So the money can go channeled through that. Or, you can, I mean, people can make their very own fundraiser for themselves, not tied to my fundraiser at all. And right now, there's there are many, many, many 
well, men and women, as far as strong minds is working. Uh, there are many women right now in Africa. They may not get this treatment that strong minds can offer by the end of this year. They might not. But if people hearing my story and what I'm trying to do, and they may say, you know what, I want to donate $3 a month. $3 a month, that's one coffee a month for $36 a year. That can help somebody for just $3 a month. You can donate that little amount on my fundraiser. Uh, yeah, to Strong Minds. You can know it's, yeah. Ashley Judd, the Hollywood actress and singer, she uh, she has a promo. She does, she narrates a promo video for Strong Minds. So that's uh, a really big, lots of clout behind that. It's, yeah. Yeah. Strong Minds uses uh, talk based therapy, they don't use medications. They get women in groups of eight to 10, and they use talk-based group therapy to help alleviate their depression. And six months after this treatment, 86% of the women are still depression-free, which is a, an astounding number. And this is scalable. Strong Minds is trying to work this, uh, is trying to get other larger humanitarian orga organizations like uh, UNICEF, Oxfam, World Vision, that he, they want to get them to use this their model because it's scalable. It's low cost, proven effective and scalable. And it's it could it could be ramp could be spread out to many, many people. If you if you're a woman in Africa with depression and you can't work, you can't feed your kids, that's huge. And if you can get some treatment in a matter of weeks, the treatment I think is uh, 10, 12 weeks or so, and you can get back up on your feet working again, being productive, feeding your family. Think of think of the thousands of people, thousands of women in Africa right now today who can't do that because they are sick. And with with a donation, a simple donation, a coffee a month, you can be a part of that. And I'm trying to get this message out to people. I I'm I'm trying. I I know there are people out there. I know there are millions of people out there around the world who have three dollars a month, or five hundred dollars a month, or a million dollars. CEOs, businesses, I know there are people out there who would want to help. And I know you're right too, Matt. And, you know, let's get back together a little bit later because I want to make a donation myself, all right? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Absolutely. Hey, Matt, do you have anything, any last comments that you would like to leave with the audience as we prepare to close out? Yes, uh, I know. So I'm I'm trying to help people with mental illness in developing countries. Uh, I do have an audience in, in developed countries. And for them, I know a lot of us here are suffering from mental health issues in every country around the world. On my website, mindaid.ca, I've got a button near the top called Free Tips. And it's a list of my top books and resources and articles on how to get your, on how to improve your mental health. And I'm quite proud of that list. I've read hundreds of books on how to get myself better. And some have really stood out. I keep mention, mentioning them to people for years and years. And you can have that all right there on that one uh, free tips button. There's awesome. lots of things there, yeah. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, Matt. We really appreciate you being on the here with us in Tenacity Foundation on the It Starts With Me program. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Well, there you have it. Matt is aspiring, motivated, and 
shows great signs of not just resiliency, but, you know, the power to conquer something as difficult as schizophrenia and to address the needs of schizophrenia for people that don't know how to address those needs or for people who are simply seeking out the answer. Please check them out on myaid.ca. Check them out, get those free tips, share it with other people. Remember this, though, when it comes down time for, in any type of situation, for you to begin to shift your mind into a better place in life, remember what Matt said. The first thing that he thought was, first thing that he did was take a small step. One small step after the next small step after the next small step. And before you know it, he was able to travel from one end of Canada to the other end. And eventually those small steps began to help him in something he had no idea was coming his way. But even in the midst of that, he learned something. He's taught us something about endurance and about resiliency. He taught us that he began to train himself through reading lots of books from never losing the desire to overcome his fear, or his disease. And because he always sought out greater information, greater knowledge, and greater wisdom, when the time came that his disease departed from him, he had already been endowed with so much wisdom, so much knowledge, so much understanding, so much resiliency, and so much encouragement that he was able to put forth this program to help people all over. You never know that if what you are going through is designed for you to help somebody else. But first, no matter where you are, remember this, that as much as it starts with you, it starts with me. See you next week. Peace. 